It's an unfortunate thing that a kiddo has to be removed from their home and go into a stranger's home. But I just love the idea that even in that sadness, if they can be placed in a Christian home that loves Jesus, boy, you know, God can do some great things with that. Welcome to the Center for Congregations podcast. This is a conversation for anyone invested in sustaining and strengthening their faith communities. The Center for Congregations is an Indiana nonprofit that exists because we believe that the work of your congregation is essential. Our mission is to strengthen your congregation, helping you find the right information or expertise for your congregation's needs. We're able to do this work because of the generosity of the Lilly Endowment. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Center for Congregations podcast. I'm Matt Burke, one of the co-hosts, and with me is Mackenzie Scott-Lewis, my co-host for this week. How are you, Mackenzie? I'm doing well today, Matt. It is sunny here, and that's a great thing. The sun makes me happy. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. For those listening, we're recording this on May 4th. So for those of you who are Star Wars nerds, happy Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. (laughs) And by the time you hear this, this will be way in the past probably. But yeah, we have not had the best weather. So we are grateful for the sun and for some warmth finally in this year of 2023. That's right. So, hey, we are going to talk today about how congregations can care for those within the congregation. That's kind of the broader context A little bit later, we'll be talking with Michelle Jackson, who is a foster care advocate for Josiah White's, which is an Indiana-based organization. But that conversation really kind of got Mackenzie and I thinking a lot about how congregations care for children and youth, but also just care for those within their own congregation. And so, Mackenzie, in your work at the center, what kinds of conversations or what kinds of requests have you had around those lines of like caring for children and youth or how the congregation supports those within itself? Yeah, that's a great question, Matt. There is a congregation who went all out in terms of creating a sensory room for those children that may have autism or some type of reaction towards a lot of sound and lighting and Mm -hmm. things like that. They're a very contemporary church. And so when you walk into their sanctuary, it's almost like a production hall or theater, more so than a sanctuary of traditional style, right? Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of flashing and and a lot of those types of things, even smoke machines. (laughs) But they were smart to offer an alternative, but it came from the kids. Oh, wow. They heard from the children. And then the children spoke, obviously, to their parents. And that started off with just a little bit of room in this other part of the sanctuary, just right outside the sanctuary. And it just continued to grow and grow and grow as people were having a safe space, if you will, where they can get the message without the other types of distractions for some. And for others, it's an enhancement. You know, it's great. But for these young people, it was a type of care because they listened to them and then they provided for them. Mm -hmm. So it's one thing to listen. It's another thing to take action on what they have actually communicated. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, because it seems so often that some of the leadership structures that I've been a part of over the years, we tend to sit around the table and we assume what people need, what they want, <laughs> rather than actually having the conversation. Ooh, imagine that, hun. We yeah, as adults know, right? do that stuff, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so how cool is it that they heard from a population within their congregation that needed some changes and needed to be cared for, and they responded and reacted to that? That's a great story. Yeah, as a bowl on top of it, their congregation is growing like wildfire. And I believe unscientifically that there's a direct correlation to being seen, being heard to continual growth, right? And it can be numerically, but more importantly, the internal that the person feels that they have grown within that ministry as a result of being heard and listened to. Mm -hmm. And that seems special to me. Yeah, that's such an interesting point because we had a congregation in Northeast come to us a while back. Northeast Indiana, for those of you listening outside of the state of Indiana, which is where I'm at. 
they came and said, basically, we want help in marriage resources because Mm -hmm. we want to be the congregation that is known for strong marriages. So we want to be able to have those resources, to be able to work with our congregation and be the place where people can come, where they know that they will be supported to have a strong marriage. Wow. And that's such a cool idea. And it's interesting because so many congregations, I think, try to cast a broad net and try to kind of do everything for everybody. But the diffusion of energy that happens in that, I think sometimes is counterproductive. And to your point, Mackenzie, when you focus on a specific need, there are people out there that have that need. And so they're going to, of course, gravitate to who you are. And so I think it's so important for a congregation to ask itself, what is it that we are passionate about doing? What are we passionate about serving or caring? What is the unique thing there? And then kind of focusing even more so on that and Mm -hmm. finding ways to communicate that to the community because then it becomes a place where, you know, for the congregation that you mentioned, it's a place where people can bring kids who are on the autistic spectrum or who need a different kind of environment and they've got a space for that. And so, of course, you're meeting a need that's out there. And I think that's just such a good relationship for a congregation to have with its community Mm -hmm. that we provide this and you can come to us for this specific thing. Yeah, man, that's an outstanding point. That single focus. I like to say that if you find your niche, work your niche, Mm. right? You spend time with it and you'll become proficient in it. Mm. You have a level, different degrees or levels of confidence and competencies attached to it. And people will gravitate towards that niche Mm -hmm. in a world where you can go to one store and get every single thing. It's not like when we used to go to that mom and pop store down at the corner and they knew your name. They knew about your family. They knew about, hey, at least from my narrative, you better quit doing that, boy. You're going to get in trouble when you get home because (laughs) I'm going to tell your parents. (laughs) (laughs) But that, that type of connectivity, we were created to be connected. Mm-hmm. And I think ministries will continue to flourish if they find ways to connect to their congregation versus, hey, here's this plan and you better connect to us. Mm-hmm. Find ways to connect to them. And that's the type of caring that is really innate in our makeup as human beings. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I'm so excited for this conversation, because she talks so much about how a congregation can come around and support those who have foster children or who have children that they've adopted. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes congregations as an organization, we can take for granted the people who are already there and be thinking Mm -hmm. about other needs, but what about the needs of those who are already there? Mm -hmm. And so I was encouraged by her conversations and what she had to share with us about how she's seen that done well. I as well, Matt. Number one, Michelle's knowledge base is through the roof. She's done her research She understands that her and her husband are both foster care parents and adopters. And so she has this unique perspective. And what I love about it with there is the sense of humility, but just strong confidence. Like Mm -hmm. this is what God has purposed us to do on this side of heaven. And we're going to do it. And we don't always know the answers to everything, but God is the source. And that, that was pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, why don't we go ahead and get to that interview then? So next up, you will be hearing from Michelle Jackson, who is a foster care advocate for Josiah Whites, which is an organization based in Indiana. You'll hear a little bit more about that, and we'll have some information on the back end of the interview and in the show notes about that organization and foster care. So we hope you enjoy the conversation. Enjoy. Welcome back. And we are here with Michelle Jackson, who is the foster care advocate for the Wabash office of Josiah Whites. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us. Sure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And excited to dive into this topic of foster care and your experiences with it. But I think first, I'm curious, just how did you develop an interest or develop a heart for foster care? 
Sure. So my husband and I, after we got married, we tried to have children for about eight years unsuccessfully. And God had led us through meeting an individual who had decided to give her child up for adoption. So we were blessed and able to adopt our oldest daughter. And when she became about 18 months old, she started asking for some brothers and sisters. And so my (laughs) husband were like, Oh boy, now what? So we started kind of researching what path we wanted and praying about that. And God led us to foster care and the interesting and funny way of doing it. So we went ahead and started our trainings. We were living in Pennsylvania at the time and we did all of our trainings that we needed to do. And through that time, apparently, I don't remember this, but my mom told me that we had gone to Christmas at my family's house and apparently it was very loud and there were a lot of children there. And I apparently came home and told my mom that I was content with just having my one little girl who was very (laughs) quiet, um, that I didn't want that loudness in my home. And I don't remember that. But what I do know is that we actually stopped our process of becoming foster parents. So I'm assuming that was true. And in May, all of a sudden, we got a phone call actually from Pennsylvania. It's called Children and Youth here in Indiana. It's DCS. We got a call through the caseworker who was training us and she had kind of asked us, you know, if we were interested again and, you know, she realized we never continued our process. And I was at that point trying to figure out how to nicely tell her no, but I couldn't come up with a nice no. So I was trying to drag my feet. And what God ended up doing in that phone call was she was curious if we were still interested in becoming a foster parent, but she also actually had a placement that she felt would be perfect for my husband and I. So it was kind of a, are you interested? Great. Let's jump in, get you licensed and get you going. So God just threw us in neck deep right at the beginning, which is not the typical way to become a foster parent. And so our love for foster care kind of started backwards. We dove in and then we gradually got the love for foster care, if that makes sense. But yeah, we got that call on a Wednesday and Friday morning. I picked up a set of twins that were three months older than my own daughter. And it was just funny because God knew that my husband and I kind of really needed, you know, that we were like, ah, and he actually, the children that were placed, um, I won't give their names, but let's just say my husband would have had a junior (laughs) and then it was a boy and a girl. And so the boy had my husband's name and the little girl actually had his great grandmother's name. And I had not even known what his great grandmother's name was. And so it was just so interesting that God just literally gave us the names that my husband had to hear to say yes. And so we said yes, and we were licensed for 13 years out of that. And I actually just looked back the other day and I wrote down all of the names. Of course, all of the kiddos who have ever been in our home still are in our hearts, but I never like wrote down like a list. And so we were foster parents for 13 years and actually God had placed 13 different children in our homes during that time. And so it was just a really cool thing to look back on how God just used us through all of that time. And then I will add that not only were we able to foster 13 kiddos, four of those kiddos actually became our forever children through adoption. So yeah, so now foster care and adoption care are just deeply embedded into our lives. Mm-hmm. Michelle, that's outstanding in a unique way to get into foster care, as you mentioned, how God used circumstances and situations to bring you and your husband in on this. And so it made me think about that it takes a village to kind of get through this and be a successful foster parent. So how can a congregation be a place where foster care is value and supported kind of in that same spirit of being God led or indoor taking a village to get through and being a great foster parent. Sure. Sure. Well, and I will tell you, you know, for my husband and I, we felt very much called into foster care and we felt like it was our ministry, which became a driving force for us. But just recently in my position as a foster care advocate, I had just come across this, I guess, statistic, and it just really hit me. And what the statistic is, is that a foster parent that gets licensed, 50% of them will actually close their home 
either the first year that they've been a foster family or after their first placement without support. That's the important part, mm. without support. And so for me, being a foster parent for 13 years, I was just like, what? Like, that's crazy. 50% of them will leave after their first year without support. And the reason I'm emphasizing that is because then it goes on to say, but with support and wraparound from their churches, 90% of those people will continue to stay and continue to minister longer. Mm. And so hearing that has really just brought it full circle. I mean, I know the support that we received and I know that we could not have done it without it. But hearing that statistic is just like, wow. So now it's so very important for me in my position to be able to make sure that our foster families that we license through Josiah Waits, that I make sure that their churches are also supporting them. I feel like we do a really good job of supporting our families that we license, but you know, our teens are only so big and we have so many kiddos that we can only do so much. And I will actually say uh, just a little side note, but we were not licensed through Josiah Whites because we were in Pennsylvania. Josiah Whites is in Indiana. And now that I see all the ways that we support, it's like, wow, I kind of wish, <laughs> I kind of wish that, you know, we had Josiah Whites as an option back then. But we do a really good job of supporting, but we can only do so much. And so that's where the church can come in mm-hmm. and help surround them full circle and really just embrace them and help them. And, you know, I'm not sure if you asked me ways yet. I might be jumping the gun, but you know, sometimes foster care is such a, a big word, mm-hmm. right? Like we're in a foster care crisis. And if you just look at, well, who am I? Like, I can't do that much. Well, you know, you and I, we're not going to be able to stop the foster care crisis But what we can do is be able to encourage families, Christian families, to become foster parents. And then if you can't become a foster parent, you can certainly still help. There's so many different ways that you can help. And I had actually just heard, I'm big on like statistics and numbers. I had actually just heard when we looked at the March of 2023 numbers for Indiana, there were 8,697 children placed in foster care, not placed, but in total that are in foster care right now in the state of Indiana. That was in March. And I believe there's over 6,000 churches. And so the person who was doing this did the math. She knows the exact number of churches and she did the math. And it's if every church had 1.3 families in their church to sign up to be a foster parent, to get licensed, then every foster child in the state of Indiana would be in a Christian home, right? Mm -hmm. And we would be able to be pouring God's love into these kiddos. And so that's just my hope and my dream, you know, but churches can definitely, definitely help in lots of different ways. Absolutely. And I think it is a great flow into what are some examples of how congregations can support foster care, because as you have articulated, there's one thing to be aware And then there's another thing to actually be licensed. And then there's another thing to actually have a child or children in your home. And then that wraparound support for a congregation looks like what, in your opinion? Right. So let me tell you, first of all, our experiences. And now my husband and I, I guess we're kind of, we just say we're an odd breed. (laughs) And we join you because Matt is an odd breed as well. So am I. So, you know, we like to join your family if that's We'll join the club. (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. So we had a lot of experiences. We were house parents before and, and we worked with just a lot of troubled teens and, you know, kiddos that dealt with a lot of trauma and abuse and neglect. And so we have a lot of experience. And so, you know, children and youth had seen that. And so we were kind of pegged by them as a family who could take on maybe the more difficult kiddos. And though we helped a lot with emergency placements, especially kiddos that came in with special needs or autism, just until they could figure out a home for them or where would be the best placement for them. So our church in Pennsylvania 
it was kind of funny. Like they loved us. They loved us so well. And I knew that they loved us and I knew they were a praying congregation, but it's funny because we have a big family, right? We have adopted five kiddos now and we have a big family and we never kind of knew how many extras were coming in on a Sunday. And so (laughs) we just went ahead and honestly, we just got a, a 15 passenger, big old van. And that's my, you know, forget the minivan. We're driving a big old guy because we never knew how many kiddos God would place in our family. And so we would show up on a Sunday morning and everybody would greet us with lots of love and smiles. But it's kind of like you could see like, oh boy, here come the Jacksons, right? But they would embrace us and just love on us and love on our kiddos and just accept them. You know, even if we had a kiddo that was there just on one Sunday morning, they were loved and they were poured into and treated just like any other of our kiddos. And so, you know, that goes a long way just for those kiddos to feel that love. So that was super important, you know, and so I encourage all the churches to be able to do that. Don't kind of, you know, just stand back and watch them come and not talk to them and not engage, even though it might be scary and you don't know where that conversation is going to lead and you might not know how to introduce yourself even, but it's so very important to have the kiddos and the foster families just feel at home, right? Because I mean, their church should be their home. So that's like basic. And you know, prayer, my husband and I discovered very quickly that again, we viewed this as a ministry, but in ministry, of course, you know, Satan doesn't want you to succeed and he doesn't want people finding Jesus and, you know, all of those things. And so we were at times really bombarded just with things just happening. And so our church body was really good. We had a core group of people that I could call and not necessarily give them the nitty gritty because we can't. As foster parents, you can't. You know, things are confidential. But I could reach out to them and I could say, listen, we are really struggling and we really need your help. Or, you know, sometimes it was things like our cars would break down. It was funny. This is a side note too, but every time right before we got a placement, our cars would break down, like straight up breakdown. And so my husband and I, we got to the point, you know, you're either going to cry or laugh, right? So we would just be like, well, God's about to send a new kid to our home. And sure enough, it was like within a week or two, we would have a new kiddo. And it's like, okay. (laughs) And in the time, you know, God also figured out a way to get our car back to working, but it was just kind of something like, okay. Yeah. So prayer is just so very vital, you know, just to help you through and, you know, and then there's some tangible things that, you know, maybe you don't want to dive into foster care like my husband and I did. And you just want to kind of dip your toe in the water. Like that's great too. So you can help a foster family. If there are like cooks in your congregation, I encourage them to just, you know, ask them, Hey, could I drop off a meal this week and help? Like that's such a tangible way. And, you know, spring's coming and flower beds need done and grass is growing and branches need picked up. And, you know, those are all tangible ways. And it might seem so minuscule, but the thing is, it's so very important because I know at least for my family. So like I said, we have five kiddos and four of them were adopted through foster care. And, you know, I'm not going to spew all of their experiences that they had, but there's a lot of trauma. And even though now we're in an adoptive family, we're not fostering at this moment. We're adoptive. That trauma is still there. right. Right. And so we're hoping that they are healing and that we as a Christian family are pouring into them and that eventually they will be healed from that trauma. But it takes time. Well, not only does it take time, it takes energy. My neighbor just actually last week just came over and mowed my lawn for us. She didn't even ask, like, you know, she didn't say like, oh, do you need help? Like she just came over and all of a sudden I heard a lawnmower and I'm like, it sounds really loud. I look out here, she is mowing our yard. And just those small things go a long way because then I could then continue to do what we needed to do for our kiddos at that time and be able to pour into that. So, you know, I encourage churches for that. Or, you know, if you're unlucky, like my husband and I and your car breaks down and there's a mechanic in your church, you know, um, that might be good to have them on speed dial. But I really encourage the churches that I go into and talk to, to be able to identify who are your foster parents and who are your adoptive parents. You know, there's a lot of times that I bet churches don't even know. They may know one or two. And if you're paying close attention, you may see 
oh, they have a new a new friend with them this week that wasn't there with them last week. And so you might be able to figure that out. Some foster families might, you know, as they're feeling called into this ministry, you know, they might go and talk to their church leadership and their pastors. And so obviously they would get the heads up. But we don't wear signs on our backs, you know, that say, hey, we're a foster family. We want to be as normal as possible. We want to provide that normalcy for all of our kiddos. And so a lot of times we're quiet. And being quiet also means that we're not vocal about our struggles, but also what we need. And so I really just encourage your churches, you know, May is National Foster Care Awareness Month. And so if you haven't identified your foster families, I encourage you to do that this month and just kind of ask them, you know, hey, you know, it's National Foster Care Awareness Month. We would love to know who our foster parents are so that we can come alongside you and support you and pray for you, you know, maybe give them a pizza party and have them be able to get together And as a foster parent, it's a wonderful thing to be able to even know who your other foster parents are in a church because they are your village. And, you know, when we talk about villages, they get it, right? I can't share with them all of the nitty gritty of what our families might look like, but they understand when I say, oh, we're having a bad day, like they're going to understand a little bit more what that looks like. So I definitely encourage just being able to identify them to do that. Other ways, you know, we have some churches here in Indiana that are really stepping up. There's a church closer to Indy that they took this on to the point that they even hired a full-time staff member for a foster care ministry. And they have this I'm going to call it a foster care closet, although I actually went in and saw it. It's in a home, like multiple rooms full of just supplies. And you can go on, if you're a foster parent, you can go onto their website and put what your need is and they can help you try to get that. I know in Kokomo right now, there's a church building a foster care closet. We have another church in Kokomo that felt like God was leading them to dive into foster care ministry. And through that, they started these journey bags and they have gifted Josiah with quite a few of them so far. And what it is, they take the list that the state makes that says what each child coming into care needs. And so they have packed all of that in a suitcase And then they went as far as giving toys and if they're younger, giving bottles and hygiene supplies. And in all of our suitcases that they gave us, it's beautiful. We open it up and the Bible is sitting right there, a children's Bible right on top. Mm -hmm. And then there were two notes, a note to the foster parents that an adult in their church wrote. And then a note to the foster kiddo that one of the kiddos in their church wrote. And it was just so awesome to be able to receive those. And, you know, and they're continuing. They have a room that at any point I can call up and just say, hey, do you have this? You know, I did that again last week. And it's an unfortunate thing, but kiddos that come into care sometimes do truly come with nothing. We had a family of three kiddos placed with one of our foster families that just got licensed and they literally came with the clothes on their back. And so a couple of them are very young and the foster family, because they just got licensed, they didn't have a lot of the things. And so our staff were scrambling to find things for them. You know, we went shopping for the kiddos and, you know, we were trying to do all the things to help them, right? Because they need to be present with the kiddos that just came into their home. The last thing they need to do is be worried about going shopping and getting what these kids need. And, you know, I was able to just call up that church and say, hey, listen, we have these ages of these kiddos do you have things? And so that church was able to bless this family with that. So we provide like in-service trainings monthly for our families. And so we have churches that will provide a meal for them so that our families, not only are, are they getting the training, but they're also getting fed before the training. We have some churches that actually are providing, you know, like parent night outs where they can drop off their kiddos and not just the foster kids, but their bio or adopted kiddos also. And, you know, their church has these fun activities for the kiddos and then the parents can go out on a date. There's another church in the Southern part of Indiana that does that also. But instead of the parents just dropping off the kids, they actually have a program for the adults also. So, you know, there's lots of different tangible ways to be able to help in a foster care ministry and help support these foster parents without actually becoming a foster parent. 
However, I will just say we need lots of foster parents. And, you know, it's an unfortunate thing that a kiddo has to be removed from their home and go into a stranger's home. But I just love the idea that even in that sadness, if they can be placed in a Christian home that loves Jesus, boy, you know, God can do some great things with that. And so that's why it's just so in my heart that we really just need to continue to grow our Christian foster homes through Indiana and just allow God to be able to use that. So I don't know if that helps answer those questions also. Oh, yes, absolutely. Tremendously. (laughs) No, I appreciate the wide spectrum of examples that you shared with us because, you know, how much different would it be for a family to step into foster care in a congregational setting with already understanding and maybe even having in place means of support in the congregation mm-hmm. that they know are going to help them walk through it? I'm sure it's daunting, especially the first time you do it, you know, going through the training and thinking about having a child, some unknown child going to be entering into your home and the trepidation that goes with that. But understanding that you have a community of people around you that can meaningfully support you in so many different ways. I'm sure that makes all the difference in the world. And so that stat that you shared, while sad that 50% without support close up shop after one year, mm-hmm. that's an encouraging stat that 90% continues to do it when they have meaningful congregational support. And that's just a, a beautiful story of how the body works together to support one another. Right, right. And also what I have been finding in my position in going in and, you know, just talking to churches and church leadership, just about foster care in general, I didn't realize, and I should have, but I didn't realize how many misconceptions there are about foster care. That became apparent to me about two months ago. I was invited to come in and and give a talk to a, a women's group and they had already had, I think, five foster families. So they had decided that along with my discussion, they would do a panel discussion with foster parents, which was a fabulous idea. And, you know, since we were foster parents as well, and we have experience actually doing it, they invited me to come up and sit on stage with the other foster parents and do this panel discussion. And so I was on stage and we had already had the questions and they were great questions. And, you know, we're answering them and I'm able to hear the foster parents, but I'm also able to see all of the ladies sitting out in the audience. And we're just throwing around words that the foster parents are used to, you know, like reunification. People may not actually understand what reunification is. And that's a very, reunification is actually probably one of the biggest words with foster care. And and that is a goal for, you know, when a child gets removed from their home, the primary goal is to get that child back into their home, right? To get them reunified within that family and just to get that family the support that they need to be able to fix whatever is the problem and to be able to make sure that, you know, the child can be safe, but to go back home because, I mean, that is the goal of foster care. And so, People may not understand that they have some misconceptions about foster care. And so, you know, we were kind of throwing around those words and I'm looking down at the audience and they're they're looking confused. (laughs) And so I'm so glad I was able to be up on that stage and see it. And I finally, I'm like, hold on, time out. And I'm like, can I just give you like a 60 second cliff note version of foster care? And I did really quick, right? From beginning to end, as quick as I possibly could. And I cut out so much stuff, but they were just like, oh, okay, that makes a whole lot more sense. And when we were done, you know, people were coming up to me and they're like, okay, when's part two? Like, we really need to have a part two. We need to understand this. And so I left there and I was just like processing, like, you know what? Part of my job is for recruitment, right? To be able to recruit Christian foster families. And then I'm just like, hold on a second. How can we recruit a foster family if people don't actually understand what foster care is? they're not going to be like, yeah, you know what? I think I might be able to do that if they don't know what we're even asking them to do. And so I have kind of, in my approach, I've even taken a step back. And so, you know, as I go into churches, we're actually, just to back up, we're actually now, that church was like, yeah, you know what? We do need a part two and we want to invite the whole church. We want to have, I'm kind of calling it a foster care 101, you know, what that looks like. And so my team's going to go in and we're just going to talk about foster care and what it truly really is. And then that church was like, you know what? 
not only do we want our whole church to hear it, but why don't we open it up to the community too? Like, let's really raise awareness about what it is. And so we're really looking forward to that, getting that on the calendar and getting that going. But it's been just really interesting being a foster parent. I'm so glad now that I've had all of those experiences that I've had. And now having this position as a foster care advocate, you know, helping support those foster families, but then also going into churches and, you know, raising awareness and, and just bringing to light foster care and just the good that God can do through it. It's just a really awesome opportunity that I've been blessed to be able to do. Well, that's really great. And we're grateful that you're in that role, Michelle, because clearly you you have a passion for it and and you know your stuff. So we really appreciate that. Thank you. So for congregations in Indiana, you mentioned that Josiah White's, I think, is in five areas in the state of Indiana. Is that right? Uh, Well, six. Six. There's a Wabash campus, which is the main campus. Mm -hmm. And then there are five other areas. There is Fort Wayne. We're in Greenwood. We're in Indianapolis. We have an office in Miraville and South Bend. Fantastic. Yeah. So, you know, we license all through the state. So it's not just in the Wabash area, but we have regions that we're over. Yeah. So, you know, if anybody in hearing this is interested in becoming a foster parent, that's great. I'll give you the website. But even if you're just interested in getting more information, Mm -hmm. you know, you can just put your information in there. And based on where your location is, the office that's closest to you would contact you and just be able to give you information about that. You know, if you're interested, and possibly having, you know, us come and talk to your church leadership or your congregation, you know, you can also request information that way. Like I said, every office has a foster care advocate and we are out and about, but not to say that, you know, we've been able to hit every church yet. There's lots of them. The other thing I will just throw out there as churches look at the need for support of the foster families. One of the other things, you know, just to kind of maybe bring to light or have a small discussion on is what is that going to look like having foster families? You know, you're probably already seeing some kiddos that might have some different needs, you know, might have some different family backgrounds, even if they're not in foster care, right? We see that everywhere, but just being aware That's another awareness key, not only in helping your foster families, but being aware of who those families are so that you can kind of identify those kiddos that may need some extra love and support in that, you know, hour, hour and a half that you have that kiddo and what that looks like for your children's ministry volunteers. You know, I've had a couple churches kind of ask us, you know, they're really kind of building this foster care ministry and then asking us, they're able to identify, you know what, we want to do this well. And we want to be trained. And so, you know, they have asked us, can you guys come and do a training on trauma with our Kidman volunteers just to help them be able to have a better understanding of it, but just to be sensitive to the needs of the kiddos that are coming in. And like I said, you're going to see these kiddos anyways, whether they're in foster care or not. And so just to be able to be aware of what that looks like and just, you know, a kiddo might be having an off day and just how to be able to love on them and show them God's love in that difficult time as well. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for raising that. That's such a great point that there are needs even outside of foster care that are just part and parcel to every congregation and every family has needs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great. Well, Michelle, as we come towards the end of our time here, can you let people know where to find information for Josiah White's and how they might reach out and ask how to receive support or rather how to receive information? Sure, absolutely. So you can go to our website. It's www.josiahwhites.org. Let me spell that for you. It's J-O-S-I-A-H and then whites, W-H-I-T-E-S dot O-R-G. And there is a foster care tab on there. And like I said, you can fill out, you know, to get a little bit of information. In doing that, you in no way are signing up to be a foster parent today. I promise you. (laughs) And so there is no pressure, but just, you know, if you just want more information, there is more information on our website. So Josiah White's doesn't just do foster care. We have the residential homes. We do recovery. We also have family preservation, which is really cool. That's kind of the one step before foster care. So, you know, when DCS identifies there's a family that needs some support, but it's not a dangerous situation and that kiddo can still stay in the home. 
we help along with DCS, you know, we help go in and provide services to those homes. So that's family preservation. You know, we try to help the family at all angles, be able to get the support they need and to learn about Jesus along the way. So you'll see lots of information about Josiah White's, but yeah, that's definitely how you can get information. If you're interested in becoming a foster parent, our team members will definitely reach out to you. If if you're interested in having us again, come to your church or talk to you, you know, or even have ways to have your church members be able to support Josiah White, those foster care advocates, myself and the five others would love to have a conversation with you. A couple months ago, the youth pastor reached out to me and he's like, okay, you know, we're doing this serving. It was a whole series. I think it was like a two month long series on serving. And he was like, how can we serve at Josiah White's. And I love to think outside of the box. That's just kind of how I am. And so we were talking about ways Well, we came up with sensory boxes. And so the youth group for a couple of weeks collected sensory type items. We made a list of different things and, you know, not like crazy expensive things, just little things. And they collected and then we got together. They actually came to our offices and I think that night we made 25 sensory boxes, but it was really cool. And and they took it one step further. They even collected water bottles and they put like the oil and the Orbeez beads in it and, you know, made these really cool water sensory bottles. And, you know, I believe not everyone's going to become a foster parent, but everyone's called to help foster care. I truly believe that. And so any way that we can encourage you guys to help is just so welcomed, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was just so happy when that youth pastor reached out. I'm like, yes, absolutely. We're going to find a way that these youth can feed into our foster kiddos. And so, yeah, just so you know, thinking outside of the box, that is always welcome. And if you're in my region, it's encouraged because I absolutely love it as well. (laughs) Very cool. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. We'll include the URL for Josiah White's in our show notes as well as some information about that, along with other resources that we talk about later on. But we're just so thankful, Michelle, for your time. Thank you for your work in this area, such an important area for Indiana. So you're welcome. Really appreciate you being here. You're welcome. Thank you so much. And I would like to echo the fact that some may say work, but we also know it's it's a ministry and that we will continue to pray that God's speed be upon you and your husband and your organization as you continue to do a great work in the communities that you are reaching out to, congregations. Yes, thank you so much. I feel so blessed to be able to talk to you guys today, so thank you. It's good to have you, Michelle. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. everyone. Michelle Jackson. Wow. Wow. Just the heart, the head, and the hands, mm-hmm. Matt. You know, she's not just talking about it. She's doing it mm-hmm. and then has the knowledge necessary, but with the type of energetic warmth, it speaks. There's no surprise to me that she's going around talking to other congregations about being a foster care congregation indoor, have a foster care ministry. Very, very convincing. You know, some things really kind of popped out to me, but I first like to hear from you. What kind of stood out in your mind as you heard Michelle communicate this noteworthy ministry? Yeah. The first thing that came to mind for me, and I'm sorry for the cliche, well, I'm sorry, but not sorry. (laughs) It takes a village. But I think we've gotten away from that in the U.S. that we tend to look at other people, other families. And, you know, like if we see issues or challenges, we're like, oh, that poor family. But we don't really think about how we might be able to step in (laughs) and help. But isn't that what a congregational community is supposed to be? It's supposed to be a family to one another. And so what really jumped out to me was just this idea of, in general, sharing the burdens of those within your congregational community. But specifically what she's talking about is a family that has decided that it's their ministry to help take care of foster kids, but how the benefit of the experience of a larger community for those foster kids is such a good thing for them Mm -hmm. and also just a benefit for the family taking care of them in a way that they feel supported, they feel encouraged and potentially even just allowing them to have a date night sometimes and being aware that maybe a foster family needs a little more 
support and help in that way that they need some respite care sometimes. So it helped me remember and think about how a congregational community needs to function more like a village in the old sense of it and more like a family. Absolutely. That kind of hits on the heels of what stood out to me as well, Matt, is the idea of support. What does support look like? And she had a Mm -hmm. statistic that 50% of those who are in the foster care, they will leave if they don't have support. And 90% will continue if they have support. Just the support alone tips the scales of what a life can be like going forward. And to your point about the village, because our world is shrinking due to technology, it's almost like this is a global village, right? Mm -hmm. You have this entity or this village, if you will, at church, you can have it at school, you can have it in your community. I mean, all the different ways in which we can support people who are foster parents and foster kids and so that there is a type of reunification that takes Mm. place because that's the best case scenario that she highlighted was that they go back to their parents in a healthy environment because we don't know all the reasons why someone has to have their child go into foster care. There are millions of reasons, but that is not as great as the reason to support. Mm-hmm. Right. Just to come alongside. We say that a lot at the Center for Congregations. Right. We, we want to come alongside congregations, not ahead of them, not behind them, but come alongside. So when you look to the left and to the right of you, you know that you're supported. And that's what I gleaned from listening to her about the type of support that's necessary for foster care. As she kept saying, kiddos. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. A couple of things there, Mackenzie. Number one, you were taking notes, man. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Making me look bad. (laughs) (laughs) You look fine. You look fine, man. Well, you should see Matt. Wow. No, 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 really, really. (laughs) Yeah. Face for radio, as they say. Um, (laughs) Anyway, but yeah, to your point, Mackenzie, the sense of being a part of a community and not knowing about people in your community, but genuinely knowing people in your community, Mm, right? And so I think when you talk about the world getting smaller in the global village, that's true in a sense that we understand facts and data and we can interact a little bit with people outside of our geographic community. But in many ways, that's knowing about people rather than knowing people. And congregations Mm -hmm. provide such a great space and opportunity to know people and walk alongside them, as you mentioned, in their lives. And just what a blessing Mm -hmm. that is. I mean, just how human that is and how for anyone, you know, whether you're a parent who helps out with foster care, whether you have adoptive children, whether you have somebody with special needs, whether you're just a parent like me who sometimes like my kids are just challenging sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we all experience that, right? And so when you're in a community in an environment where people know you and can help share the load of whatever it is. And even just beyond, for people listening who don't have kids, maybe you're on the younger side, you've never even thought about foster care, but just carrying any aspect of the burden of your life and knowing people Mm -hmm. well enough that they can share that with you, you can share that with them, you can walk alongside them. I mean, that's what congregational community is supposed to be at its core, is just that relationship, right? That's right. And, you know, you use the word to know or to be known when you research that word. One of the definitions is intimacy, to have a level of intimacy. And of course, in our world today, people would take that word intimacy and make it mean a lot of other things. But really, it's getting down to do you really care? Do you really understand? Are you involved in that other person's life? Mm -hmm. It's a type of intimacy that says that, I can trust you. You can trust me. And the growth of that will be absolutely wonderful in terms of having a solid relationship, Mm -hmm. i.e. our relationship with God, our our relationship with colleagues, our relationship with our spouses, our relationship with our significant other or whatever the case may be, is that when you have a level of intimacy, you know them beyond the surface. You know them beyond the data. You know them beyond even what they have done Mm. in their lives so far, right? Because a lot of these kids, they didn't raise their hand and say, hey, I'd like to be a foster kid, Mm -hmm. right? They didn't pick this route. But fortunately, that intimacy, that love can help 
these young kiddos be on the right path and experience the type of support necessary to be a productive member of society. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, and I'm also curious, Mackenzie, before we hit record, you were talking about some questions that you were wanting to ask her but didn't get a chance to. And I think there was some good conversation in that. So do you want to let folks know what you were thinking about, what questions you had in your mind? Yeah, there were two main things that were going through my mind because as I mentioned earlier, Matt, I talked about that our village is global. So data is easily at our fingertips, right? From our smartphones, our laptops, iPads, you name it. So people are very aware the challenges that churches have had in terms of abuse, sexual abuses and things of this nature when it comes to our young people. And I think it's wise to begin to have open conversations in your church. If you're looking to get into foster care and things like that and, you know, doing background checks with your ministers and things of this nature to ensure the true safety of these foster kids that may come into your congregation or you have a foster care ministry is due to due diligence behind the scenes to ensure that safety because that is very front and center. There are a number of young people who refuse to walk into church now based upon all the cover-ups and things of this nature that's taken place in churchdom when it comes to sexual abuse because it's so readily out there in the Mm -hmm. public square. And I'm going on a rant on this a little bit is because this is one of the good things about social media is that they got the information out there. It wasn't kept in the closet. People did some investigation work to figure out these things have been going on in congregations for a long time. And and I think it's just wise to have our eyes wide open and make sure that we do our due diligence, as I said before, to make sure that there is great safety in terms of being a foster care person. Yeah. No, that's fantastic, Mackenzie. I think, you know, two main things there and two ways of looking into resources that congregations can use. One is thinking about, is my congregation a safe space? That's right. And so that's kind of the preventative idea of how do we make sure, and it's not only just making sure, but also demonstrating and communicating, I think, that it's a safe space. Amen to that. Uh, And then also the idea of what's called trauma-informed care. Yes, sir. So as you have people coming into your community that may have trauma in their background, it's important to understand what trauma does to people and how you can then care for them in the best way that they need because trauma just changes the game for how a person reacts and how they think. And so understanding what trauma has done and the hallmarks of what trauma does to people is really important if you really want to help them in the best way possible. Mm -hmm. So for anybody listening, that's such a great point to bring up, Mackenzie. Two different resource streams you can look at is, you know, being a, a safe congregation And also the idea of trauma-informed care would be some good things to look into. Absolutely. Yeah, those triggers are real in people's lives. So Mm -hmm. we really encourage that. The other thing, Matt, that I was thinking about as Michelle was talking is the diversity with black and brown kids in terms of being in foster care and not being adopted at a higher level than non-black and brown children and that the need is, is high from my experiences in having the pleasure of working with a transition program for kids who were in foster care for a long time and they were timing out, as they said. And so what happens to them after they graduate? And I learned a lot about the stories, the horrific stories that these young people will end up going back to if someone isn't there for them Mm -hmm. and that support But overall in the industry, you know, you will have kids who aren't looked upon as higher value to be in a family. I recall a report, this was in the Indianapolis Star many, many years ago, and they were ranking the value of children by ethnicity, by race. And African-American or black children were a negative value. Wow. And and then you flip the coin over a lot of uh, people have adopted kids from overseas and things like that. And they had a higher value it was almost in vogue to have a child that was of a different ethnicity. And, and it looks like, Hey, I'm, I'm really inclusive. I I've adopted this person from Cambodia or somewhere. Right. And so the ideal of one skin color sadly has penetrated the foster care arena as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm curious about that, Mackenzie, because it sounds like the need for adoption of black and brown children is potentially high. But I've also heard people say or be somewhat against 
adoption across those ethnic lines. And I honestly don't know what to think about that. Uh, I'm curious as to what your thoughts are. Yeah, I think in a sense, if it becomes a status symbol, oh, I have a black child, I have a brown child, I have a child from another country that it makes you feel like you're more wealthy or mm-hmm. this person becomes a commodity or something like that. I'm, I'm totally against that personally. Mm-hmm. Right. But like mentors in my life, I've had some outstanding black and brown mentors and white mentors being African-American myself. I've had people who poured in and they did it out of the goodness of their heart And so it was opportunity that I would never trade in, right? Mm -hmm. So I can't say definitively a white family couldn't adopt a black child, for example. I mean, it really depends on their heart and, you know, what God has placed on their heart to do for that child. If they're really a family that is knitted and bonded together for the betterment of that child, so be it. But when it becomes what I call a luxury, Mm -hmm. I, I feel a certain way about that, honestly. I'm not a showpiece. Our children aren't showpieces to demonstrate something that maybe underneath has a a different type of motive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I have to believe that in foster care and in adoption, there needs to be some semblance of cultural sensitivity and understanding that a child may be coming from a different cultural background. And this is also true of just international adoption. Absolutely. That they're coming from a different cultural context and just having a sensitivity and an awareness to that and maybe educating oneself about the culture from which they originated so that there's some sense of identity and connection with their past and some understanding of things that might just be cultural differences that you can be aware of. I just have to think that there's something important in that, that if you are going to go the route of fostering or adopting outside of your cultural norm, you really need to do your homework and understand it so that you can navigate that well. Yes. And I think it needs to be made known that those services are available from foster care agencies, that they will provide cultural competency for potential foster parents and onward to adoption and things of this nature. I think it's a good practice, even for churches, period, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that there are a lot of different cultures that are represented in our churches today, especially those who are hybrid and doing things online and in person, that there is a understanding of these different cultural norms that we all have and the things that make us feel included from language to understanding how education works to how to understand wealth and finances and things of this Mm -hmm. nature and not say, well, we're the standard and you got to adhere to this standard no matter what. Right. Mm -hmm. And my question would be who created the standard? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If you're listening and you haven't had this realization yet, culture is something that we made up. (laughs) No matter what culture you're in, that culture was made up in the past. And that's okay. I mean, that's typical and that's the way that cultures are. But understanding that and understanding that what is a no-brainer for you might be something that somebody else has to think about. It's like my parents, they still give me a hard time about me having no common sense. Hmm. They talked about when I was a kid, I wouldn't know when to cut the grass. Like... Well, how high does it need to be? And they would just look out the window and they would say, you just look at it. Sure. And so they would say that I had no common sense, but that's a cultural thing. Like how high is the grass before it look, you know, I'm doing air quotes here before it looks bad, right? Sure, sure. I mean, that is not a given human thing. There are cultures that don't cultivate their lawns. <laughs> <laughs> right. There are cultures right. that live in places where there are no lawns to cultivate, right? And so it's not common sense. Now that I've gotten older, I kick back to my parents like that. I don't know that there is any such thing as common sense. There are the things <laughs> that you take for granted that you think everyone else should take for granted, but those things are made up by your culture. And I think it's important for us to recognize that. Right. And the made up by one's culture isn't to say that it's not significant. It can be very Absolutely significant. Not. Right. Yeah. right. And it's an ideal of privilege and what cultural norms that we put value to and don't put value to in a very diverse environment becomes extremely important, right? And to understand the more you understand different cultures, the better you have a chance to be intimate in terms of building relationships with individuals, right? You know, you'll say things. And for these kids, specifically in foster care, if certain things aren't adhered to, there's a loss of identity that is attached to that culture, 
mm-hmm. right? And there's a loss of identity in a lot of churches, multicultural, who call themselves multicultural churches, but it's really one way with just different type of people in there doing it a particular way to a particular standard, right? Mm-hmm. And the key to true care, as Christ was our great example, is knowing the person mm-hmm. regardless, right? Mm-hmm. Background, status, all that stuff. You get the love and care for the person, build that support around the person. And we don't like everyone. Mm-hmm. That's true, but we can surely respect and have a general unconditional love for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good word. So y'all are getting some insight into Mackenzie and I's relationship. We could probably continue talking for another hour about these topics and we've been a bit wide ranging, but hopefully this has been on target and on point for you who are listening. But we'll go ahead and turn our attention to resources and we're specifically going to look at resources around foster care. We've mentioned a few other areas of resourcing that you can kind of look into on your own, or you can always check out the CRG, which is the Congregational Resource Guide. That's at T-H-E crg.org. It's a repository of close to 2,000 resources on all kinds of aspects of congregational life. And you can take a look and the resources that we mentioned today will also make their way there eventually as well. So Mackenzie, what resource do you have to bring to the table today? I have one to bring, Matt. It's called Faith Bridge Foster Care. And if a church is interested in starting a foster care ministry, out of their church. FaithBridgeFosterCare.org is a great resource as they will work with you and your family on how to become a congregation that is seeking to do or build a foster care. And so they do licensing and training and things of this nature. As Michelle was talking about, they have family consultants. And so you're not just, you know, get your license and then you're left on your own. This foster care ministry is designed to be an ongoing relationship, an ongoing care and support of our foster kids in this ministry. And they have a component of this, Matt, that I thought was very interesting, that it has a community component, right? So it's not just having a foster care ministry at your church, just so your church can say, hallelujah, we have a foster care ministry. Mm -hmm. But how is it involved in the community Mm -hmm. and doing special things in the community to show that this is a light that does shine everywhere? Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. That sounds like a fantastic resource, Mackenzie. I'm glad you found that and be happy to put that in the show notes. So the thing that I found is a little bit more on the personal side of things. It's called the Foster Care 101 podcast series, and it's Mm. from Foster Adopt Minnesota. And so some of the information in there will be specific to Minnesota and some of the counties there, but they do talk in general about, you know, the need, steps for licensing, the current foster care need, foster care in the court systems, all kinds of things like that. So if you're interested in just learning more about foster care, what are the challenges? What are the opportunities? What are the different aspects of it? This would be a great podcast. It's a 13 episode run. So it's not one that just goes on forever and ever like we do. It's only 13 episodes uh, to just kind of get your head around the basics of foster care. So again, we'll post that in the show notes. Look at you, Maddie Ice. You pulling out podcast as a resource, man. Is this a podcast we're doing right now? Oh, I see what you did. I see what you did. <laughs> well, this is everybody's favorite podcast, but we do occasionally <laughs> recommend other podcasts knowing that, of course, everybody's going to come back and listen to us. You know, we're, we're, we're their primary podcast. There you go. <laughs> this podcast would not be possible without the editing skills and engineering expertise of one Jaden Lee. And a special thank you to the Lilly Endowment for their ongoing contributions to the Center for Congregations and the work that we do. We help congregations and they make it possible for us to do so. So a great shout out to them. We would love to hear from you. So please feel free to reach out to us at podcast at centerforcongregations.org. We would love to hear your feedback on this episode or any other episodes that you've listened to. If you have any thoughts on future topics or presenters, in fact, our guest for this podcast episode was a recommendation from Jason Stanley, one of our listeners. So thanks, Jason, so much for recommending her to us. But we would love to hear from you. So just give us a shout out at podcast at centerforcongregations.org. Also, make sure to rate and review us. So whatever podcast app you're listening on, you can rate and review our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why that was so hard for me to get to. 
Just, just leave that in, Jaden. Humanizing and goofy. Rate and review our podcast. But it's the best way for other folks to be able to find it. If we get reviews and recommendations, it boosts us in the algorithm. So as people look for things that are helpful for congregations, we'll show up a little bit more in those search results. So we would love for you to rate and review us wherever you listen to this podcast. Also, make sure to follow us on whatever podcast app you're using. In the old days, it used to be called subscribe, but then people actually started charging money for their podcasts and subscription became attached to money. We are free. So just follow (laughs) us on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. We also want to give a geographical shout out to our listeners in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So way down in the southwest part of the country. Beautiful place. We are so thankful for your listenership and your support. So with that, we'll be back in a couple of weeks for the Center for Congregations. I am Matt Burke. And I am Mackenzie Scott Lewis. We will see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.